So John chapter 20, the passage that we read, is, is part of this bigger story about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After dying on the cross, after being in a tomb for three days, we read in John chapter 20, the beginning verses, that Jesus is no longer dead, that he is alive. And that is an incredible statement. And I love the detail that John provides for us um, in his gospel. It talks about how Peter and John, these two disciples, they went to the tomb. And when they got to the tomb, they go inside the tomb and they don't see a dead body there. Instead, they see uh, the linen that Jesus was wearing. They also see a nicely fold face cloth, something that was used to cover Jesus' face when he was laid there. And so based on that, you kind of see a couple things. Number one, most likely... Jesus' body, it wasn't stolen by anyone. It wasn't a thief that came in and stole Jesus' body. Uh, when I was in middle school, we actually had someone um, come into our apartment when everyone was out. Um, uh, this, this, this thief, or maybe it was a couple of thieves, they, they just went through everything. Even the money that I saved up to, 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 uh, to, to put in my bank account, uh, they took it all. They looked at everything. And I still remember the scene that I saw when I came back home. Everything was like all over the place. If you're stealing something, you don't have time to fold up cloth, right? And so you kind of see everything is nicely placed and organized. So you see most likely it wasn't the thieves that came in and took the body of Jesus. Another thing that you see is that this is something that's supernatural. If it, wasn't, if it was Jesus who actually came out of the grave, it tells you two things. Number one, that he is not a normal human being because, you know, there was a big stone that was hard for uh, someone to roll on, on, on their own, and that's why people were amazed uh, that the to- tomb was opened. The second thing that you see is an ordinary single man will never fold his clothes up like that. Right, so you see in two ways, uh, I think only the girls get that kind of reference right there, right? but in two ways you see that Jesus is more than just a man. He is the son of God. Well, later that night, Jesus appears to his disciples who are hiding in fear. They're afraid that after Jesus was crucified, now people are going to come after them. So they're behind closed doors, and Jesus appears. And you can imagine just the joy, the celebration, all the emotions that, that, that are flowing out of that room, tears that are dropping. And, and Jesus, he's declaring that he's alive. He's having a great time with, with, with his disciples. And as they are celebrating um, this occasion, everyone is having a great time except for one guy. One guy happened to go to McDonald's for the rest of the crew, maybe. Uh, Thomas was not there, the Bible tells us. Actually, uh, we don't know exactly why he wasn't there, but we only know that when everyone was celebrating, when everyone saw the risen Lord, Thomas, for some reason, was not there at that moment. So we pick up in verse 24, a passage. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, now Thomas is the Greek name, uh, and then it's, he is also called the twin, which is his Aramaic name. Um, one of the 12, he's one of the 12 disciples. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. So it says in verse 25, the other disciples, they tell the story uh, uh, how Jesus came. It says, we have seen the Lord. You should have been here. Right? It was awesome, the conversations that we had. It was great. And this is Thomas's response. It says in verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails 
and I place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his sides, I will never believe. Now, because of this response, Thomas, he gets one of the worst nicknames that you can get in church history. He's called Doubting Thomas. I mean, you, you think about a nickname, right? Peter, the rock. Like, that, that's pretty cool. John, he calls himself the beloved disciple. Like, all these disciples have cool names. And, and how, how do people remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Like, even Judas doesn't really have a nickname like that, right? Like, Doubting Thomas. I mean, it, it seems like he, he is so little in his faith. It seems like he's just that guy who needs some extra help, right? He doesn't get what the teacher is trying to say. Like, he needs some extra help and support from his peers. And, and this is a guy who's so stubborn in, in his, his faith. But I think this, this nickname is, is misleading in, in many ways. First of all, we know that Thomas was not the only one who doubted the resurrection. We know that all the other disciples, the reason why they were in that closed room was because they were afraid. Uh, they weren't sure if Jesus, Jesus was really risen. They saw the empty tomb, but they weren't sure if Jesus was alive. We know that they were hiding from their enemies. We also know that all of them ran away along with Thomas, except for the beloved disciple, John. We also know that one of the greatest disciples, Peter, he denied Jesus three times. So we know that unbelief is not just a problem that, that Thomas was facing. We also know earlier in Jesus' ministry that Thomas was one of the most devoted disciples among the twelve. You read in John 11, and there's this incredible story when Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he declares that he is the Son of God, and people begin to pick up stones because, like, they say, that's blasphemy. Like, you can't say that. Like, that's speaking against God. And so Jesus escapes from Jerusalem, but he hears the news that, that Lazarus, his friend, his beloved friend, is, 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 is dying. And so he's ready to go back to Bethany. He's ready to go back to the area where people are trying to kill him. And all the other disciples, if you read it, they're like, oh, Jesus, don't go. Like, no, it's, it's a bad idea, bad timing right now. Like, maybe we can go secretly, maybe later. And out of everyone, Thomas is the guy who stands up. He speaks to the other disciple. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. That, that was Thomas. That he was ready to die for Jesus, which begs the question, why is he not convinced at this moment in John 20 when he hears that Jesus is, is risen? Why does he go so far? It's not like he says, if I see Jesus, then I'll believe. No, it seems like he's pretty set in his way. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I think there are two reasons why Thomas is, is so reluctant to believe at this moment. Number one is disappointment. Disappointment. When Jesus died on the cross, Thomas likely felt like the situation was hopeless, that his dreams were shattered, and his faith was misplaced. You know, because Thomas was so devoted to Jesus, because he invested so much in this pursuit with Jesus, he spent three years leaving everything behind. Like he did everything that Jesus told him to do. He went through so many ups and downs with Jesus, and for that to come to an end, it is devastating. 
right? If you meet someone for a couple of days and, and you break up, it's not a big deal. But if you meet someone for a long time, you invest in that person, then that breakup hurts a lot. Like if you prepare really hard for a certain career and it doesn't work out at the end, it feels like you have wasted your time for, for years. And so you kind of get a sense of disappointment here. Because he was so devoted, he's so disappointed at, at Jesus. And so it's the circumstance that's causing Thomas to doubt. It's the circumstance that's causing Thomas to question God. Can I really trust him? Is he really good? And a lot of times notice that this is the same thing that happens to our life as well. Anyone can believe Jesus when things are going well and good. Anyone can give glory to God when everything is all right. But your faith gets exposed when circumstances get really difficult when life happens in a bad way, when negative things happen in your life, there's this tendency inside of us where we begin to question God's goodness and his sovereignty. Is God really in control? Is he really good? Can I really trust him? You know, in the past, maybe you made a decision to really follow Jesus, passionately follow Jesus. Maybe you're really um, devoted during youth group, maybe your college years, you're going to every Bible study, and, and you were all for God. You were even ready to give your entire life for Jesus. You would even pray, God, here's my heart. I give it to you. I will die for your name. And then something happens in your life. Maybe it's, it's a family issue. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's betrayal. Maybe it's unfair treatment at work. Maybe it's a bad experience at church. Whatever it might be, in one moment, it feels like all your dreams are shattered. All the hope that you had in God is, is gone now. That everything is taken away from you because of that difficult situation. You begin to question, is it really worth pursuing God? I mean, it just seems at that point that everything that you hear from church is, is a lie. It seems like your time, your devotion to the Lord is just a simple waste of time and a waste of devotion. And you constantly ask yourself, does God really exist? And if he does exist, is he really good? God, if he doesn't meet your expectations, it feels like, you know, he failed you in a certain way. And because of that, you are unwilling to believe. So Thomas, he is reluctant to believe because he is disappointed and he does not want to misplace his faith again. So that's the first reason, disappointment. Number two is this, reason. The reason Thomas doesn't believe at this moment is because of reason. If you think about the words of Thomas, he knows really well what happened to Jesus. Like, he's pretty descriptive in what happened to Jesus. It's not like he just heard that Jesus died on the cross. Notice what he says. He says, unless I see the nails in his hand, the nails on his feet, and also, the scars that are on his side, which was, by the way, very unique about Jesus. Because most people, like, you know, they would be left on the cross to die. Jesus ended up dying a little bit early. So to make sure that he was dead, people put a spear on his side. And so all those marks are pretty unique to Jesus. So Thomas is well aware of what happened at the crucifixion. He's well aware of what are the signs of, of Jesus' body. And so in his mind... He's saying that it is almost impossible for Jesus to come back 
there's no way, even if he played dead on the cross, like unless I see his wounds, I, unless I see him myself, I'm not going to believe. And you might think that's, wow, that's, that's a lack of faith. But I think that's how we ought to operate. Right? What Thomas is saying is this, I need more evidence. I need more proof. I want my faith to be reasonable. I'm only going to believe if something is truthful. You know, uh, two weeks ago, our youth group, we had a picnic. And at the picnic place, there happened to be a skate park. Now, I never skated in my life. Uh, I snowboarded a couple times. And so to make sure everyone was having a great time, I would walk around from time to time, and I noticed there were a couple of youth kids in the skate park. Uh, one of our youth students brought uh, a skateboard, and, and so when I walked to the skate park, she was on this, this ramp. It was like this half pike. It's, it's about six, seven feet high, and she's standing there on the edge. And I'm like, what are you doing? And, and all the kids are watching her, like, and they're telling, let's go, let's go. <laughs> and, for, and for what I hear is for 30 minutes, she was standing there, right? Because she's kind of a beginner at skating, but she wants to show how good she can skate, right? So she's on this half pike, but it's really, really scary. And so seeing that from the bottom, I'm like, that's easy, right? <laughs> like, my pride kicks in, my simple nature kicks in. I'm like, you just have to lean forward, and, and the skateboard is going to do the work. So I go up. I said, hey, just watch. I, I stand there. It's kind of scary. Like, I didn't know how steep this slope was, right? But everyone is watching me, so I, I got to do something. So I just do think in my mind, lean forward, lean forward. I lean forward. Guess what happened? Did I make it? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. The first time I jumped off of the board, the second time I land on my back, right? It was so embarrassing. Now, did I have a lack of faith? Absolutely not. I had 100% confidence that I was going to land that trick. Like, I had no doubt. Like, I was like, all you have to do is go down the ramp, right? So what went wrong? The object of my faith wasn't that truthful. My body, my ability to skate, it wasn't worthy of faith. And when you misplace your faith in something that's not trustworthy, that's what happens. You know, a lot of times when it comes to religion, I think people have this wrong notion that as long as you believe hard enough, that your belief is strong enough, that it's all okay. And there are a lot of Christians that will believe in anything but that's not how the Bible talks about faith. The Bible says, no, your faith is not about just believing, believing, believing. Your faith is a reasonable faith. It's found upon the foundation of truth. The reason why you can have faith is because the object of your faith is trustworthy. So Thomas, at this moment, what he's doing is this. The object of my faith right now is the resurrection of Jesus. Notice that he's specifically questioning the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's questioning. And that's not a statement of opinion or personal taste. That's a statement of truth. Is Jesus alive or dead? And what Thomas is saying is based on the evidence that I have, it's unreasonable to believe that he's alive at this point. And so what he's saying is I need more evidence. I need more proof. I think he's more of a careful thinker. And he's saying that before I put, place my trust in something that's unworthy, I want to make sure 
that, that this thing that I'm placing my trust in, once again, is absolutely true. So two reasons why Thomas is hesitant to believe. Number one, disappointment. Number two is reason. Thomas is disappointed because this negative situation, that everything about his life is crumbling down. And, and number two, he's looking for a reasonable reason to, to, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in summary, Thomas is not just this, this, this person who has no faith. He's a disappointed skeptic, if, I, if you can put it that way. And this is how Jesus responds to a disappointed skeptic. It says in verse 26, eight days later, a week after, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, this is a very common way that, that the Jewish people would greet one another, right? Shalom, peace be with you. And it's a lot more than just saying hi. It's this idea that the peace of God be with you. It's kind of this ultimate blessing in a way. And what Jesus is saying at this moment, it's not just this common greeting that he's using, but the reason why he's constantly saying this, by the way, the week before when he visited the disciples, this is the exact phrase that he used to greet the disciples. It's because on the cross, what Jesus ultimately did was he restored the peace between God and man. And so what he's saying is now you can really have peace. You can have confidence that you are not enemies of God, but you have peace with God. So he gives this incredible greeting. And then the next thing that he does, he looks at Thomas and says this, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now people think that Jesus is 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 really looking down on Thomas at this point and saying, man, do I have to show up again like this, like just for you and explain all of this? Like, are you, are you that little in your faith? No, again, that's not what's happening. Notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. He's not mad or angry at Thomas. What Jesus simply wants Thomas to do is, is see, touch, and ultimately believe. That's what matters to Jesus. He wants Thomas to believe. Like, that's his end goal. So out of grace, Jesus approaches Thomas. He, he comes to this disappointed skeptic, and, and he gives him a clear reason to believe. He exposes what is true about his resurrection. And Thomas, who had the entire week to think about his journey with Jesus, who, who had moments in his life where he remembers his te the teachings that Jesus gave, the statements that he made, all the works that he has done. And after thinking about this for a week and now seeing the resurrected Jesus right in front of his eyes, this is what he says, one of the most incredible, amazing, perfect statements of confession that you can make in all of Scripture. It says in verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So simple, but so profound. Thomas says at that moment, Jesus, you are not just a good man, but you are the God man, that you are God divine. Jesus, you're not just a good teacher, but you are my king. You are, you are my master. You are my Lord. And the best part, part of all this is you're not just a king. You're not just a God, but you're my Lord and my God. Notice that this is not a general confession. It's a personal Confession, And here we learn two things about faith, two things that must take place in faith. Number one is this. Faith must be personal. Faith must be personal. You know, imagine one day you're flipping through your phone and you read a news article 
and it says, doctors found the cure to pancreatic cancer, which is one of the most deadliest cancers that, that, that exists. Like, you, you spot it so late in its development, uh, about 90% of, 95% of people who have it only last six months. It's, it's deadly. And notice that you're flipping through your phone and you read that doctors found cured to pancreatic cancer. How would you react to that news? You'd say, wow, that's great. And you would go to a different article. But imagine, weeks before that, you were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. As you're flipping through those New York articles, you read the headline, doctors find cure for pancreatic cancer. Like the weight of that statement is completely different. Now, the first scenario, you still believe that it was true. You believe that doctors found the, the cure to pancreatic cancer. It just wasn't relevant to your life. The second occasion is that it's now not just a truthful statement, it's a personal statement. Did you know that a lot of people believe in the resurrection of Jesus even though they don't come to church, even though they don't follow Jesus? They would say that, yeah, I believe that Jesus is risen from the, from the dead. Like, that's not hard to believe. The reason why we easily say that is because it's truthful information, but not personal. But imagine that you understand the depths of your sin, that you realize that you have sinned against a holy, righteous God. That God, he created you for a specific way, that he made you for a good purpose. And as long as you're staying in his good ways, that you can enjoy him and exalt him and live out your purpose. But for some reason, instead of following God's way, you go your own way. That all like sheep have gone astray. And instead of being with God, you chose to go against God and live without God. And as a result, you are separated from the source of life, the source of goodness, the source of peace, the source of hope. And your life is left with death, chaos, sickness, brokenness. And there's no cure that you can find. You feel helpless in your life. You feel so broken seeing the evil inside of you and around you. And you hear the news that Jesus has defeated death, that Jesus has conquered sin. And the enemy has no power over Jesus whatsoever. And you read in God's word that now when you believe in Jesus, that resurrection power can be with you forever. It's a game changer. So faith has to be personal. Number two, faith must be reasonable. It has to be reasonable. It says in verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, I don't think Jesus is rebuking Thomas or thinking little of Thomas at this point. He is pointing out the fact that Thomas has to see Jesus in order to believe, but his emphasis is on those who don't see. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, why is that so important? Who are the people who are going to believe and not without seeing? Well, look at what John says right after that verse. It says in verse 30 and 31, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So notice when Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing, he is pointing to the fact that now Thomas is going to be apostle 
He's going to be a witness for the resurrection of Jesus. And through that, the church is going to be born. And more believers are going to come to know Jesus. How? It's not going to be through a physical encounter, but it's going to be a living encounter with God's word. And again, what changed Thomas's heart wasn't a physical encounter. It was, a rest- it, it was the truth that restored Thomas's faith. And in the same way, although we might not have a physical encounter, I mean, we might have it. I, I believe that sometimes, we, especially in extreme cases, especially in, in Muslim countries, you hear story after story how there are visions of people who, who see, they, they see this figure in this vision and ultimately they get these questions in their head and, and at one point someone explains that to, to them and they come to faith. There's so many stories like that. I think under extreme cases, God still uses the supernatural to, encounter, to speak to us, but ultimately, even in those cases, like the moment of conversion is not the moment of the vision. It's the moment when someone explains that vision. That point, they point people to scripture and says, see, this is Jesus. That through God's word, that is truthful and holy, that you can understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing that you can have life in his name. The New Testament always talks about faith in the sense that it is grounded in truth. The Bible never wants you to believe something that's untruthful. The Bible never wants you to believe something that's unbelievable. The Bible simply wants you to believe based on evidence, based on these truth claims. Is it really worthy to believe in these things? You think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He has this long section about the resurrection of Jesus because there are people in the Corinthian church who are questioning the resurrection of Jesus. And this is taking place about 25 years later um, after the crucifixion. So there are still people alive who have seen Jesus physically. And what he says is this. Let's talk about the resurrection. If Jesus did not come back alive, if he did not rise from the dead... Better yet, if there is no resurrection from the dead, period. If no one can come back from the dead, what Paul says is, then our faith is in vain. That there is no hope for us. Every statement that is made about Jesus is is basically false. Because that makes Jesus a liar and those who are following Jesus a, a liar. But what he says is this. But think about this. There are people, 500 plus people who have seen Jesus who are still alive today. Like, you think those people are giving their lives for a lie. You think they're deluded, deceptive, or stupid? Go talk to them, right? He's making the argument. This is something that you you can prove. It's harder for us. But for Paul and the people who are reading Paul's letter initially about the resurrection, they could literally go interview the people who are making those claims and statements. Like, what did you see about Jesus? Did, did you really see him? How, how did he look like? And people can give, give, give answers to those questions. And so what Paul is stating is this. It is reasonable to believe in the resurrection. There is truth. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's something that you have to believe in faith, but it's faith that's developed upon truth. It's not blind faith. In the same way, God is inviting us in our life, to examine his word, to examine history, to examine what you see in your life. And the question is, does it align, does your life align with God's word? The problem of evil that you see, does it align with God's word? The trouble that we see with this broken world, does it align with God's word? God is inviting us to question all these things. It is not sinful to question God. Let me say that one more time. It is not a sin to doubt God. I, th- I think we have this notion 
that if you are doubting and questioning that your faith is weak, but I'll be worried about someone who has no questions whatsoever about God. That they're living in a broken world that's not full of God's, that's not full of God's will. His kingdom is yet to, be come, to, to come. There are times when it gets really, really dark, and they say, well, I have no questions about God and his presence and his goodness. Like, I'll be more concerned about those people. The Bible clearly says that a Christian is someone who questions God. Even the disciples, in different ways, they question God. When there's a negative circumstance, when there's something that's hard in your life, there's brokenness inside of you and around you, the natural response that you can give is to question God. But here's the difference between a believer and non-believer. A non-believer questions God and uses that opportunity to run away from God. A believer, when they are questioning God, they use that as an opportunity to learn more about God, to go deeper into their relationship with God. Notice that when Thomas brought up these questions, Jesus answered those questions, and what happened? His faith grew, and it became solid. That's the difference. So how are you responding to your questions? The questions are not, not really the, the problem. It's your response to the questions. When you are facing doubt, when, there, when life gets really hard and difficult, and when you are struggling to really see that God is good, notice that that is an opportunity for God to show you that he is much better, bigger, and more loving than you can ever imagine. I just want to close with this one story. One day, there was a man who received a special gift. Someone gifted him with a ticket to a cruise ship. And this man never been on a cruise ship before. Uh, this man was poor, so didn't know what it was like to, to be on a cruise ship. So he was really, really excited for his first um, trip on a cruise ship. And the best part is that it was free. It cost nothing. So this person... Uh, is, is living this life on a cruise ship uh, for a week. And there's one thing that the crew members notice about this person. Like all, all week, this person, all he would eat would be crackers and, and juice that were provided for free. Like that, that's all he would eat. Like go to the cracker station and the juice station, refreshments, right? And so after seeing that for a week, the crew members ask the question, sir, you must really like crackers, and you must really love juice because there's a lot other food, like gourmet food that you can enjoy, that you can have, and, and, and you can have all this. Why are you just eating crackers and, and, and juice? And the guy replies, well, I don't, I don't really have the money to buy all those gourmet food. Like, I can't pay those. So, like, just for me, I mean, this cruise ship is beautiful, the scene is beautiful. All these things are beautiful. My room is nice, but because I don't have money to buy food, uh, I, I'm just trying to survive, trying to eat some crackers and, 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 and juice. And the, the crew member replies, sir, it's all included in your ticket. You know, when you believe in Jesus, you're not just receiving a ticket to be on a cruise ship, to be on a journey with him. But what Jesus does is he supplies every need that you have out of grace. And he says, you can walk this journey with me. So many people are so focused on simply being on that ship because you've never been on that ship before that you miss out on everything else that 
that Jesus has paid for already. Absolutely, one day we will arrive in this destination that we will see God face to face. That's going to be a crazy experience. But till then, what Jesus does is he allows us to have everything that we need in this broken world. It might not be everything that we want, but it's going to be everything that we need. And when we follow him in faith, we can experience all that. All that guy needed to do was ask a question, and he would have received an answer. And so the question today is, are you asking the right question? Are you really pondering upon the truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus, or are you following just because it's just a good idea, it's what other people do, it's what you were told to do from a young age? See for yourself. Examine God's word. Look at your life. and See if it makes sense. That's the invitation that God is giving to us. And what he says is, when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, it's not that you're just going to live, but you will have eternal life. Life that is good forever. And that's the good message that we receive on Resurrection Sunday. It could be yours if you would only believe. Let's pray.